Please uh, turn your Bibles to Zechariah. This is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, those those pictures are some of some, not all of the, the families in our uh, church, our Bethany Church family that have been a part of our Open Hearts, Open Homes ministry, and we'll say more about that as we go on this morning. But what a what an important Sunday in the life of our church. In fact, I think Sanctity of Life Sunday is one of the most important Sundays in the life of our church in terms of special Sundays. Uh, as we have the opportunity as a church to think about uh, God's calling on us as a church to respond rightly uh, to a, a culture that doesn't see life the way that the, the Lord calls us to, and to think about the incredible opportunity we have to respond in, in a gospel way uh, to the crisis of uh, vulnerable children in our world. And so it's a, it's a very important Sunday for us to think through as a church, and I, I love it. Uh, it's a hard Sunday emotionally, but a, but a great Sunday, and I hope that the Lord uh, speaks to your heart as we think about these things as a church as well. Zechariah chapter 8 is a, a passage dealing with this, this future kingdom in which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, reigns, and what it means for those who are vulnerable, what it means for the old, what it means for children. And we're going to be looking really at verses... Four and five, kind of three and five during our, our sermon this morning, but I want us to give a, a little bit of the context here. And so we're going to read verses one through eight, and if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Zechariah chapter eight, <clears throat> beginning in verse one. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall Again, sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand, because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we recognize this morning our great need for your son Jesus to to reign in our lives, to be Lord of our lives, and we pray that we would set him as Lord in our life, that we'd recognize the lordship that he already has, and we'd respond rightly to it, specifically in, in the area of life, that we would see life as, as you do, that we'd understand the value of life, and re- understand our responsibility to worship you through recognizing the value of life in, in our church and community and world. We pray for the vulnerable among us. We pray that we would be a, a church in which the the vulnerable are cared for and loved and valued and treasured, and that our love for them would be for your great glory. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 
This past week, in, in preparation for speaking this morning on the sanctity of life, and just kind of thinking about some issues related to that, I was reading some various articles. I was reading about the new law in California that allows physician-assisted suicide for terminally ill uh, patients, and I was kind of thinking through some of those things. I read an article on MotherJones.com, and the article was written by a man whose father-in-law some years ago had had ended his own life after being diagnosed with cancer. And the author said his father-in-law had kind of gotten to the point where he said, you know, I, I want to be in control of my own destiny, and I don't want to die in a, in a hospital bed, and so he, he took his own life. And the author was talking about his father-in-law's decision to do that. He was supportive of that. He believed it was the right decision for his father-in-law, and he kind of talked about the state of that issue in our country and culture. And, and then, as he kind of came to the end of the article, he, he mentioned that he, too, was diagnosed with the exact same type of cancer as his father-in-law had been diagnosed with. And, and he was talking about how he was glad that he now lived in a, a country, in a, in a state, at least, where he could, uh, if, if the time came, he could, could end his life. And again, he used that phrase, I could control his own destiny. Now, as I read that article, it was just, uh, it was very heavy. It was, it was gut-wrenching, right? First of all, there was just a great sense of sorrow for what these men had gone through, what the author and his father-in-law had gone through and, and are going through. And I don't know what I would struggle with if I was in those circumstances, that the spiritual and the, the physical, the mental, emotional struggles that I'd have, I don't know how I'd respond to that. And so I just, I feel a great sense of sorrow for, for what they're going through. There's also, as I read the article, there's also a sense of sorrow. It's very gut-wrenching because as I read the article, suddenly I, I read a, a sentence and realized that the father-in-law and the author had both been diagnosed with the same type of cancer that my dad has been diagnosed with and, and some of our, our brothers and sisters in our, our Bethany family have been diagnosed with. And so it was just just gut-wrenching on that level, thinking about the fallenness of our world and, and, and the suffering that, that many that we love go through. And there's also a sense of sorrow as I thought about this issue of, of the value of life. And, and I don't know the author, obviously, but as I, I read and kind of tried to, to piece together what he was saying, it seems like if you asked him, do you believe that life has value? He would say, well, yeah, absolutely, I believe that life has value. But the means by which life has value for that author are very different, I think, than what Scripture says about why life has value. And we're talking here, of course, about the sanctity of life. And I think in this author's opinion, life has value as, as long as you have control, or maybe as long as you have the ability to contribute something, or you're able to, to fulfill your, your happiness. In other words, uh, life is given value by some arbitrary definition. You get to kind of decide what gives a life value, and then that's your definition. If life no longer has that, then life no longer has value. And as we talk about the sanctity of life as a church, we're saying something different. We're saying that God is the author of life, and he's the one who determines what gives it value. It's no accident that we're talking about this today. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, the Sunday before the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and uh, this week that marks the, the 43rd anniversary of, of Roe v. Wade on, on the 23rd, I believe it is. And uh, this is a Sunday, this Sunday before that, where we think about the sanctity of life. And there are many different things we could talk about when it comes to the sanctity of life. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about euthanasia. We could talk about all different facets of, of 
what God's purpose for life is. And I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to kind of think small here in Zechariah 8. And I want us just to, this morning, talk about life on the bookends. Maybe those who are younger don't know what bookends are. There used to be books in, in like print form, and we'd put them on shelves, and there'd be like things on the end of the books. There'd be like lots of books. We'd put on all these shelves, and bookends were on either end of these stacks of books. Bookends, the beginning and the end. I want us to talk about the beginning and end of life here in Zechariah 8. And I want us to see what God says applicationally about the purpose of life, what, what life looks like at the beginning and the end, and how God has designed life to be at the beginning and end of life, and, and why it's a blessing from God, his purpose for it. And we're not going to delve with, into every theological aspect of the sanctity of life. We've spent other Sundays doing that, and we will in the future, I'm sure. But, but this morning, I just kind of want us to be practical and, and think about why life is a blessing, what God says about blessing here. What we're going to, to do is look here at Zechariah 8, and, and let me give you a little bit of a background of what's happening as you come to Zechariah 8. The people of Israel, the Jews, have been carried off into captivity, and then in 539 B.C., I believe it is, Cyrus issues this decree saying that the Jews can return. And so the Jews come back to Israel and to Jerusalem. And they begin in 536 B.C. to rebuild the temple. And uh, things go well at first. There's some excitement. They begin to rebuild the temple. But then various things happen that discourage them. There's some political problems. There's some financial problems. And so the people, they, they begin to rebuild the temple, but then they stop. And they no longer view rebuilding the temple as a priority. They're lazy spiritually. And 14 years go by. And then God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and Zechariah is a younger guy here, and Haggai might be a little bit older. Zechariah is this, this young guy, and, and God uses these prophets, Zechariah is also a priest, to encourage the people, to exhort the people to get off their, their spiritual rear ends and, and to get to work. Let's rebuild this temple, and, and their ministry is successful. The people get excited, and they begin to rebuild the temple again. Now, how does Zechariah present this message? Well, first of all, he acknowledges that things have been bad, and he talks about the the terrible things that the people of Israel have gone through. But then he also presents this, this vision of the future and what it's going to look like when Messiah reigns, when God dwells in the midst of his people. In fact, look there with me, if you would, at verse 3 of Zechariah 8, and it says... Thus says the Lord of hosts, or says the Lord, I've returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. So God himself is going to dwell among his people. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city or the city of faithfulness and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. That's, that mountain's going to be called the holy mountain. So what does it look like? When God begins to dwell with his people, when God reigns, when God dwells in the midst of his people, and Zechariah tells people what that's going to look like. Let me just read a couple passages from Zechariah that describe what it looks like in the place where God reigns. And as you think about this, what you see is that Zechariah is talking about this leader 
who is going to, to completely change the culture that he leads. And, and all of us can, I'm sure, think of examples of this, right? We can think of examples of people who are very influential, influential leaders, men and women who come into a, a situation and, and, and change the culture of a place. Or you can think about a leader of a country, how that, that leader shapes the culture of the, of the country. In fact, you can even think about it on a microscopic scale, Sometimes I've been in a situation, maybe you have too, where you're, you're hosting a party and you invite people to the party and uh, sometimes, honestly, I'm, sometimes I'm not the greatest host. I don't feel like I'm really able to drive conversation well and I, you know, people come to the party and they're kind of looking at their watches and kind of, think, kind of jingling their keys like, you know, how long is this going to go on? And then, then you have that person come to your party, right? We all have that friend, that, that guy or that gal, and they come in, and they just have this amazing ability to change the whole party. And you think, I am so glad I know this person. They, you know, they tell funny stories, but they don't talk too much. They are able to draw out the quiet people. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad that person there. They've changed the culture. It's much bigger in a community when you have a leader like this. It's much bigger in a, in a country when you have a, a president or a prime minister or a king like this. This is going to be a Messiah who changes the entire culture of, of the world. This, this leader changes the way that people interact. He, he changes the way that, that people view reality and, and how they function. It's describing here, I believe, the millennial kingdom. Zechariah, so that's Zechariah. Let me, let me show you some other things Zechariah says about this Messiah, what it looks like whenever Messiah reigns. Zechariah 2 Verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Zechariah 3 describes this, Zechariah 6 describes this in verses 12 and 13. Say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is Branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. This, this Messiah is going to come, he's going to reign as, as king and as priest, and bring peace Zechariah 9, famous passage, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humbled and mounted on a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's, that's the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to reign. And Zechariah, he's, remember, he's exhorting the people, you need to get back to this business of building the temple. And as he, he exhorts the people, he says, this is what it's going to look like in the future. And he gives them little snippets of what the Messiah's reign is going to, to, to mean. And here in verses 4 and 5, he gives a snippet of what the Messiah's reign is going to look like for the vulnerable, for the people who are on the bookends of life, for the old and for the children. What does it look like for the vulnerable whenever Christ reigns? What does it look like for the vulnerable whenever Messiah is king? 
what I want you to see as we go through these two verses and, and think about this very practically is what I want you to see is that where Christ reigns, there the blessing of life is celebrated. Where Christ reigns, there it is that the blessing of life is celebrated. Where Christ doesn't reign, the blessing of life is not recognized. But where Christ reigns, the blessing of life is celebrated. So what we're going to do is just going to look at two things, two, two practical responses we have. And, and I want us to think about Christ reigning in our hearts and in our community and our church and responding rightly, having this, this heart attitude as we look at the old and the young among us. Here's the first thing. First, we do this. First, we praise God for the old among us because they are a sign of his blessing. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, the Messiah is reigning. He's dwelling in our midst, and he says, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. What does it look like in a community, in a culture that God is blessed? Well, you see old people. You say, well, Daniel, is this describing me? Am I among the old? And I would say, well, if you have to ask, if you have to ask the question, maybe. <laughs> now, let's, let's, be very, let's be very transparent. Let's begin with this. I want us to think, Let's think this way first. How do we view the old when Messiah doesn't reign? Or what are some struggles that older people have? What are some spiritual struggles that older people have? And I want us just to be, we're going to be really honest here. And I, um, I'm going to be the mediator. We're going to talk about some problems younger people have later. I'm going to be the mediator because I feel like I'm kind of in the middle. Um, those of you who are younger say, no, you're not. And those of you who are older say, no, you're not. You're part of the other group. So I think I'm in the middle, all right? Um, I, I can see, I can, I can see uh, the, the, the spiritual struggles all of us have, no matter what phase of life we're in. And, and Scripture describes some of the spiritual struggles that we have as well. Okay? So this is what it looks like when Messiah doesn't reign. Whenever Messiah doesn't reign in our hearts or in our community, here's some spiritual struggles that older people might have. And, and by the way, I want you to notice a contrast here. Lamentations 2, Jeremiah is describing the destruction of Jerusalem. And in Lamentations 2, verse 21, Jeremiah writes this as he's describing the people as they've been carried off into captivity. He says, In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. And so what does it look like whenever God's blessing is not displayed in a a city? The the young and old are removed. Now you come to the millennial kingdom, the, the the young and the old are there. This is a sign of God's blessing. Now, here are the spiritual struggles. Here are spiritual struggles older people might have. And I was reading a, a book on sabbatical. I, I mentioned this before by D.A. Carson. And, and D.A. Carson was talking about his dad who had been a, a pastor. And his dad, in his journal, wrote something that, that really struck me as, as very profound. His, his dad in his journal wrote this prayer and it said, God... Protect me from the sins of old men. Protect me from the sins of old men. And what are some sins, spiritual struggles, those of us who are older might have? Well, one, uh, I think those of us who are older can struggle with being negative, right? We can struggle with feelings of negativity. I mentioned Zechariah, but also Zechariah's contemporary. Who's the other guy who's prophesying? It's Haggai. 
And Haggai and Zechariah are both exhorting the people to rebuild the temple. And, and something very interesting happens in Haggai's ministry that Haggai describes. Haggai and Zechariah, they begin to prophesy. The people begin to rebuild the temple. And then, you know what happens? This is, this is, it's kind of funny. They begin to rebuild the temple. And then it seems like from Haggai chapter 2, some old people come by. And the old, the old people come by and they look at the temple. And, and what do they say? Hmm, I've seen better. I mean, you guys are doing whatever, but I saw Solomon's temple. Remember Solomon's temple? Oh, I remember Solomon's temple. That was a temple. And then, now, and then they start talking about Solomon's temple. And you can imagine that, that negativity, how discouraging it is to the people who are doing the work. Haggai d- describes this. He says, look, who's left among you? That is, if some, some of you saw the, the temple, you went into captivity, you came back. How do you see it now? You see it as nothing, don't you? Haggai, he knows what they're saying. He says, but hey, be strong, those of you who are rebuilding. Work, for I am with you, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. And then, and then the Lord says, look, I'm going to be in this. I'm going to shake the nations. I will fill this house with glory. And he says in verse 9, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Those of us who are older can, can struggle sometimes with, with negativity. Thinking, man, this is okay, but man, you should have seen how the church was before, how the nation was before, how kids were before, how this was before, everything. Just very negative. We can struggle with that. We can struggle with holding things back. You look at the book of Acts and, and you see the, the ministry of God as, as he's doing through his church. And there's one church that continues to kind of be this drag. And it's, it's the Jerusalem church. It's full of the people who are the older Christians. And this is, this is how you should be doing it. This is, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And there's just the, these obstacles to God's work. Older people, those of us who are older, can struggle spiritually with the physical realities that come with age, too, can't we? We can struggle with the physical realities that, that come with our bodies aging. Ecclesiastes 12 describes this very bleak picture of, of our bodies aging. It talks about the sun and the light, the moon and the stars being darkened, the windows dimming, the doors in the street shutting. The silver cord snapped, the golden bow broken, the pitcher shattered the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern, the dust returns to the earth as it was. That's pretty negative. And as we age, as we become older, if Messiah isn't reigning in our hearts, if Messiah isn't reigning in our community of faith, there can be a temptation for those of us who are older to become discouraged, sometimes even bitter, angry. There could be feelings of wounded pride. Why am I not recognized for the work that I've done? There can be fear as we think about losing influence or losing effectiveness. People where God doesn't reign can look at old people and say, well, they're a drain on our resources. They're, they're not valuable members of our community. They actually, instead of contributing, they, they draw away from it. You think about what Jesus says in Mark 7 as he's talking to the the Pharisees, he says, look, Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you, this is the Pharisees, say that a man can tell his father and mother, look, I would have given to you, but what I was going to give to you, I've, I've dedicated it to God. 
In other words, there was this money I know I should have used, or instead of giving it to you, I gave it to God, so I'm going I'm to keep controlling it, but I can't give it to you because I've dedicated it to God. And Jesus says, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and, and many such things you do. Now, as a result of these things, as a result of these things, these, these struggles, that, these spiritual struggles that can come as we age, there can be a tendency among both the young and the old to say that the, the presence of older people in a community is not a blessing from God. Either explicitly say that or in our hearts by the way that we respond to older people, even if we are older, it can say that, that the aged are not a sign of God's blessing. But that's, that's not what Scripture says, right? Scripture tells us something different. When Messiah reigns, when Christ reigns in our hearts or in a community of faith, it means something different about age. Now, notice again this text that the presence of old people here is, is a good thing. Where there's blessing, there are old people. And I, I love this picture. They're, they're sitting in Jerusalem, and each old person has this staff in their hand because of great age. And remember Lamentations 2 talks about the young and the old lying dead in the street. Now the streets are filled with old people, and, and there's old pe- people who have reached an old enough age to need a, a staff as they, as they walk. This is a good thing. It means that long, long life has been achieved. And a society that has old people, God is telling us, is a society that is receiving his blessing. It's a blessing to reach old age. Proverbs 16.31, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Those who are old have unique wisdom. Job 12.12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Now there's a problem, right? We know that wisdom isn't reached just, just by reaching a certain age. In other words, you can't say, I'm going to live a foolish life, I'm going to be an idiot, but then I reach a certain age, ding, suddenly I'm wise. Job talks about that. There's a, uh, Elihu in Job 32 says, look, uh, it's not just Many years that teach wisdom, it's the spirit in a man, that the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. But, but we see too, again, 12.12, Job 12.12, wisdom is with the age. What does that mean? Let me give some applications here. As we think about praising God for the old among us, I want us, both old and young, to think about how we respond rightly to this truth. First of all, for those of us who are older, what I think we need to do, those of us who are older, is joyfully take on the responsibility that God has given us to be blessings in the community in which he's placed us. We need to become valuable assets to the church and to those within whom we're in relationship. Let me read Psalm 71. And if you're an older person or hope to someday be an older person, I would encourage you to really Meditate on Psalm 71. Let me begin in verse 9 of Psalm 71. This is what the psalmist says. He's praying to God. This is the, the prayer for the aged among us. Uh, do not, this is Psalm 71, verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. And I think that's a, a real fear for those of us as we age. Don't, don't forsake me. Don't, don't turn away from me as my strength is spent. 
Verse 14 of Psalm 71, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. In other words, a person who's older is going to spend their time talking about God's wondrous acts, his deeds of salvation, and even a person who's lived a long time and gained knowledge doesn't understand them all. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you've taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. What is, what is the prayer of the old person here, the aged person, the person who's seen many years? Let me have the ability to continue to tell things about you to the next generation to come. That's the blessing of the old people in a community, the aged. Titus 2, as for you, he's talking to, Paul's talking to this, this pastor here, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. As we age... May Psalm 71 be our prayer, right? Father, I want the, the people around me to praise God for the old among us because they're a sign of, because I am a sign of your blessing and let me be a blessing to the community of faith, to my family, as, as I focus on you, as my hope is in you, and I tell others about the wondrous things that you've done in my life, of your righteousness. I think it's normal to have a fear of, of, of what lies beyond, right? a fear of losing our strength, of, of aging. But, but here's, here's the thing that should comfort us. As long as we have the mental capabilities to, to understand the world around us to any degree, we have the ability to proclaim the beauty of God to others and, and to praise God and pray. And then... At that moment that we no longer have the ability to comprehend the world around us, then we don't have to worry about it anymore and we become a tool for someone else's sanctification, right? That's for those of us who are older. What about those of us who are younger as we think about the blessing of the the old among us? Here would be my application for you. Um, Leviticus 19.32. Leviticus 19.32 for those of us who are younger. Stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. As we defer and respect and esteem the old among us, we're really fearing God. First Timothy, Paul says this to, the, to Timothy as a pastor. Timothy's in this position of authority. Even to Timothy, he says, look, don't rebuke an older man. The way that you talk to an older man is different than the way you talk to a younger man. Don't, don't rebuke him. Encourage him as you would a father. Paul in Philemon refer, uh, appeals to Philemon as an old man, so I love sake, for love's sake, I, I appeal to you 
I, Paul, an, an old man. We have responsibility as young people to listen, to defer to those who are older, to reject worldly values, to provide for those who are older, to treat them as valuable and worthy of our resources. Far from being a drain on resources, older people are an investment in our sanctification and God's glory. So that's the first thing, just thinking through. We we praise God for the old among us because they're a sign of of, of his blessing. Number two, we also praise God for the young among us because they are a sign of his blessing. And and look what he says here in verse 5. Again, uh, th- th- I love this picture here. I, I read this, this passage some months ago with my family, and as I, I read it, I came to verse 5 and, and, and even verse 4 and just, just was overwhelmed with the picture here and thought, man, this is, this is just a, a beautiful picture, a, a powerful rebuke of a culture that doesn't value life. Verse 5, and, and the, street, this is the, the value of children. And this, again, this is, a, this is where the Messiah reigns, what his, what his reign looks like, a, a community in which... His blessing is being experienced. Verse 5, And the, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Now, let's acknowledge that there not only are there some bad things about old people, there's some bad things about young people, there's some things that those of us who are younger struggle with, where the Messiah is not reigning in our lives as he should. There's foolishness in young people, right? Foolishness, Proverbs fifteen twenty. A wise son makes a glad father, but a, a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs seventeen twenty five. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to him who bore him. And uh, those of us who are young can struggle with, with foolishness. We can struggle with arrogance, right? Arrogance. Proverbs fifteen five. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is, is prudent. And the idea there is that young people oftentimes don't heed reproof. They're arrogant. They think they've, they've figured things out. A few months ago, I was working on a, a home improvement project, and I, again, home improvement is a very strong word, maybe like a home maintenance project. I, I'm not very gifted. To, I wouldn't say I brought things to a better place than they were. I, my goal is just not to make things worse. Um, but I was working on this, this project, and I was trying to, to change the, the seal and a, a, the, the tank there of the toilet, and, and I spent like an hour on this thing, and it just wasn't, it just wasn't fitting right, and I'm just, I don't know what to do here. And so I, I did what I should have done at the beginning. I pulled up the YouTube video and watched the YouTube video. Here's a guy who's done it before, and I realized what had turned, I'd taken all these things out to get to this piece. I realized this should have been literally a two-minute fix. Okay. I watched the guy go, two minutes with like, the cleanup and whatever, you know, at total. Very frustrating. When we're young, we have this, this delusion that, that we know more than we actually know. And even though we haven't experienced life, we can look at people in a, in a more advanced state of life than we are and think that we know more about life than they do, which is incredibly arrogant and foolish. And really, those of us who are younger need to realize this. I am surrounded by living YouTube videos. You know, I've got these people around me who've experienced life, who've experienced parenting. Yeah, they've made some mistakes, and, and I can learn from those things. And even if they don't have perfection of understanding, they certainly can understand more than I do, and I need to listen to them. It's arrogant not to. Old, uh, younger people can struggle. We can struggle with foolishness. We can struggle with arrogance. We can struggle with impatience. Titus 2.6 Paul urges Titus to urge the younger men to be self-controlled. We can struggle with dishonoring those 
with whom God has said we're to be in, in submission to. It says in Isaiah 3.5 that the young will be insolent to the elder. And God will deal with that. Proverbs 30.17, the eye that mocks a father and, the, and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Not a pleasant picture of the eye that is disrespectful to his or her parents. I can remember my mom reading that passage to me as a, as a young boy and me kind of walking around like this, look, looking out for ravens, you know, and watch out for those guys. Probably would have been better just to be more respectful. <laughs> There's a tendency then among both the young and old to say that the young don't have value. The young are a drain on our resources. The, dra- the young are an obstacle to doing that which I really desire to do with my life. The young are a distraction in church. The young are a distraction in the home. The young are kind of a pain. They're an expensive burden. The vulnerable are a burden. But what does Scripture say? What does the heart in which the Messiah is reigning think about children? We see in Scripture that whenever a heart is in submission to God, the Messiah is reigning, Christ is reigning their heart, they see that the children come from God and are a sign of God's blessing. Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of a womb, a reward. Proverbs 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Blessed, uh, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Children are a sign of God's blessing. And children, Scripture tells us, belong to the Lord. Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. Father of the fatherless, the psalmist says in Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Ezekiel 16 talks about the, God talks about people's sons and daughters as those whom they bore to him. In other words, they're they're his kids. And as they mistreat these children, they're mistreating his children and he's going to deal with it. This isn't how things are supposed to be. In fact, I want you to look there at verse 5 one more time. And, and there's another thing about this picture in verse 5 that, that I want you to, th- to think about in contrast with, with where we are in the world today. You see, we're talking here about a city in which the blessing of God is being experienced. And you're going to see older people there, and you're going to see young people there, but, but not just there, right? It's not like... The, you got some young people there, you're blessed. I want you to see what it looks like in a, in a city where God's blessing is being experienced. This is such a powerful picture. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. In other words, this place where God's joy is being experienced is being experienced as these, as these children enjoy the, the joy of the Lord. The, the children are not just, just there and present. The, the children are there and experiencing joy. And we know that that is not the reality that many children in our world face today. And the reason they do not experience that reality today is because Christ is not reigning everywhere as he ought to be reigning. Not everyone is recognizing the reign of King Jesus as they ought to because where King Jesus is recognized, children are playing in the streets. Children are experiencing the joy of the Lord. And as we know, 
that is not the case for many children this morning. And as individuals and as a community of faith, we know that we do not have the ability to change that reality for every child. We know that the, 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 the sad truth of the matter is, is that we can bring children in our home, we can love them, and, and this, this reality still could not be experienced by them. But our commitment as those who love children is to strive for this reality as much as possible, looking forward to the day where it's going to be experienced in totality. Failure to care for children is, is failure to treat God's children well. The presence of babies, the presence of young people, the presence of, of loud kids, the, the presence of, of, you know, I've mentioned this before, of the kids, of, you know, the presence of, of children dropping things in service and crying and daddy, you know, all that, oh, that's all good sounds. I mean, we need a parent, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's all good sounds. The presence of children in our church is good. It's a blessing. It's not an inconvenience. It's a sign that God has been favorable to us. And, and those of us who are young need to be, be faithful. You know, Scripture tells us what? It tells us that, that those of us who are young are capable of faith. Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Those who are young have the ability to respond to God in faith at a young age. Those of us who are older have the responsibility to fulfill God's plan for for young children help and younger people to help them, to mentor them, to parent well, to parent by God's grace, to parent according to the gospel. Where Christ reigns, there the blessing of life is celebrated. And our desire is to celebrate life, to provide for those at the bookends of our culture. And we think here about children here in verse 5 and this beauty of the picture of children playing in the streets. And so, you know, I want to highlight, as we always do on this Sunday, our, our, our Open Hearts, Open Homes ministry, because I think this is a very tangible way that we as a church can say, we do believe that God is the one who determines the value of life, and we do want Christ to reign in our church. And so I want us to think about just the practical application here in terms of this ministry. Uh, this ministry has three objectives. The Open Hearts, Open Home Ministry is designed to equip the church, and so to do things like this, to, to call the church to understand our responsibility, our God-given joyful responsibility to care for the fatherless, to, to care for the vulnerable children in our world. That's one arm of this ministry is to, to equip the church, our church and others. We also, as a ministry, this, this ministry also exists within our church to, to care for families, because those who are engaged in this ministry in, in some ways are, are facing very, very difficult ministries, one, one of the, some of the most difficult ministries that I can imagine. And so we want to be a resource for parents who are undergoing a very difficult ministry. We want to care for them, provide for them, through babysitting for them when needed, providing for them financially, providing for them emotionally, spiritually. And then we also want to be third... third um, the third aim of the ministry is to, to care for children, for a place that, that cares for children, provides for them physically, spiritually, emotionally. God's been very gracious to our church. I was, when I was watching the, the Christmas, remember the, the Christmas uh, song they had up here and all the kids are staying up here, and I just started, you know, the, the, the kids went from younger to older, right, as, as you looked up at the stage, and I just kind of started counting from the, my my far right, just starting counting to the left. And the first seven children that I counted, those first seven younger children, five of them that I knew of had, had been brought into their families through adoption. 
God has done some, some great things in our church. I believe over 37 kids have been brought into our church through adoption. That number is increasing. We have families who are licensed to foster, families who are um, being mentored, people who are involved in, in babysitting for families, uh, families who have committed to give financially, individuals who are caring for these people. Uh, we have people who are involved in a ministry called Safe Families. And, and I encourage you, think through how is God calling you to respond rightly to those who are younger and older, those who are the, the bookends of, 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 our, of our church life? What does it look like practically for you to say, I, I value this life and I respect the, this life as God does and I see it as a blessing? For the, those who are responding to that, for those in our church who are older, maybe it's saying, you know, I want to step forward, I want to contact the church office and I want to begin visiting people who are, who are older and who are, who are struggling even maybe. I want to get involved and be mentored by someone who's, who's older in the faith than I am. And as it comes to, to think about the, the younger, I think serving in our nursery, serving in our children's ministry is huge, but also saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to care for those who are younger, who are vulnerable. And I encourage you to, to go out to our open hearts, open homes table there in the, the foyer and get some information about that. We're going to begin a Bible study here in February, February the, the, February the something, I think it's the 15th. Maybe and we're going to we're going to uh, do uh, begin t- uh, this this orphan care Bible study February the fifteenth church building at six. There's an opportunity to join uh, women in the church if you're interested about this. The blend seven o'clock on Thursday, this Thursday. There's all sorts of opportunities. I encourage you to think through. Is God calling me to to pray for these families, to financially support these families, to um, provide childcare or meals for families who are going through difficult times? How would God have me care for those at the bookends? of our church life. Well, now I'm going to invite the, the men in our church to come forward to prepare to pass out the, the Lord's Supper. And as they do so, and we're going to be listening to a song during communion this morning, I encourage you to, to, to be praying and asking God to reveal in your heart how, Father, would you have me care for the weak and vulnerable in our church and in our community and in the world, asking God to give you great wisdom in those areas. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we do recognize that where your son Jesus reigns, there's, there the blessing of life is celebrated. Help us, Father, uh, to, rightly, to rightly respond uh, to your son Jesus, to experience the, the blessing of life in his name. And help us to respond to that rightly as, as we care for others. Help this church to be a place where those who are struggling are cared for well with the love of your son Jesus. Give us, give us this grace. We pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.